Suburban Folk is now live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just download the Podbean app and search for Suburban Folk or visit suburbanfolk.podbean.com for the latest topic and login information. We'll talk about what I learned from our most recent episode, give previews of episodes to come, chat with our audience, and answer any questions they may have. We're grateful for all of our listeners that tune in and are excited to share the show to a larger audience. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on your favorite podcast platform is a big help, and be sure to share with your friends as well. For those looking to support us even further, a donation button has been added to our website at suburbanfolk.com. All money received will be 100% redirected into advertising and getting the word out about the show. Now sit back and enjoy this episode. Health, travel, finance, parenting, and entertainment. This is the Suburban Folk Podcast. I'm looking forward to having some real talk with some real folks. Hey, this is Greg with the Suburban Folk Podcast. Today I am joined by Shahara Wright. Shahara, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me today. We came across each other on social media and What caught my eye is that you have a podcast called Single Mom CEO. One of the things that we cover on Suburban Folk is parenting. What are the challenges? What are tips and tricks that people can look for? And I'm very interested in your perspective because it's all of those parenting challenges that we all have, plus being a working single mom, I'm sure has its own set of challenges that I'll be very interested to get into your perspective on. Um, you are a small business owner. Your livelihood is being a lawyer as well as running the podcast. Can you give a little information about what your day job is? <laughs> sure. Yes. Um, so I'm a business law attorney. I've been practicing for 21 years in the great state of Texas. Um, I've had my business, I've run my law firm for 20 of those years. So probably about a year I worked for other attorneys and then I started my own practice doing, working with small mid-sized businesses, doing day-to-day legal advice, contracts, all that fun stuff, uh, for, for businesses and I've been in nonprofits and I've been doing that for 20 years. So about, well, probably a year ago, I got the idea to really talk about single moms who run their own business because I'm one. And so I really wanted to do something. I couldn't figure out exactly what I wanted to do. And then I came up with the idea months later after, you know, I knew I wanted to do the single mom CEO thing to start interviewing women. And so I interviewed about seven women who are like me, single moms who are raising their kids, full-time business owners, and just talking about what's you know, what it's like and the things that you have to deal with and what your concerns are and all of those kinds of things, just to kind of show that it's possible and that you can thrive um, while being a single mom and a business owner. So your firm was a natural progression from, like you said, starting with a group and then just branching out to your own firm. It wasn't any kind of um, major leap, let's say, from what you were doing before to what you're doing now. It's, It's starting your own law firm. Really, because you know, when I was a baby lawyer, um, you know, I just I really wanted to do business law. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I couldn't get a job in the corporate arena, um, so I guess my my business was like a failed attempt to get in a job. <laughs> so I just, you know, I, I was like, well, you know, I I can do my own thing. I can hang my shingle. I have my law degree. I'm licensed to practice. So why not? 
So I just did it. And, you know, 20 years later, I'm still here. Well, I'm always curious for people that are not in the standard, I'll call it corporate world. Do you think you could even go into that setting at this point, uh, just being away from it and being your own boss at this at this time? Yeah, you know, I, I've thought about it. I've thought about it several times. Of course, I think any business owner thinks about just quitting and getting a job and being done with it. But, it, you know, the hard part about it is that I'm so used to being flexible in my schedule. So there's like, you know, a couple of contract positions that I talk to people about and they want you to, you know, be in the office at eight and leave at five. And I'm like, yeah, my life is, I can't do that. Like my life is not built around that. I I drop off my kid and I pick him up and I can't be in the office from eight to five. That's just not going to happen. So I don't even, and plus, you know, I'm so used to being by myself most of the time that, you know, office politics and all that stuff. I don't really know how well I would do. Um, One of my friends says she's gone feral. And I think that's probably kind of where I am too, where I don't even know if I could plug into an office at this point. I totally hear you with the office politics piece. And I I work for, you know, a corporation, but am a remote worker for almost a year now. And it is amazing when you hear friends, family, colleagues talk about personalities uh, at work. And it's like, man, this just seems like a lot of time talking about potentially non-productive things <laughs> that it's, it gets it gets harder and harder to deal with. So I, even from my perspective, um, I totally understand what you're talking about. And you hit one of the other questions that I had for you as far as the flexibility is concerned. And do you feel like having your business makes it easier for you to be flexible with your kids? And it sounds like the answer is yes. Yes, it it definitely does. I make my own schedule and that makes all the difference. And now, so about two years ago, I stopped doing litigation. So that has helped. So I'm not in court very, very often. I'm very rarely in court anymore. And so that helps a lot because when you have to go to court, you're, you're on the court schedule. And so that can, you know, kind of tear you away from what you you normally would do. So now that I'm straight transactional and I don't really go to court, it allows me to have even more flexible schedules so that when things change with my kid and they get out of school early or anything like that, then I can I can be available where sometimes I wasn't able to do that. And that is very, very valuable, I would say. I know leading up to having my kids, there were things that maybe I thought of in concept around flexibility as far as wouldn't it be nice to, you know, have the flexible schedule, run certain errands. But once the kids were actually around, it became less of a nice to have and more of a requirement (laughs) to be able to (laughs) be available when, you know, things come up and that aren't conducive to the regular nine to five schedule. So it definitely, I think when people get into that situation is helpful. Um, for the podcast, you mentioned, sounds like you've had about seven episodes, you said, and mainly wanting to, it sounds like start a community for folks that are in a, or for moms in particular that are in the same situation as you. How's it gone so far? I'm guessing if you've done seven, you've been up and running for 
two to three months? Is it what you've expected? Yeah, it's been interesting. So I've launched, so I pre-recorded everything. It's not a podcast. It's really on YouTube and then I posted on Facebook. I thought about taking the audio and, and take make it in a podcast, but I hadn't really made any effort to do that yet. Right. So really it's on YouTube and Facebook. Those are the two places where, and, and LinkedIn where I'm on the most. So I've placed it there. I've gotten really good reception. I pre-recorded with seven women. I just um, aired episode four today. And they're all very different, very different backgrounds, very different circumstances, very different things that they, they do. And I like that because even though everybody's different and you know what they do is different and why they're a single mom is different and all that kind of stuff, some of the same things um, appear in what you have to deal with. And one is, you know, making sure that you have a great community, people that will help you and support you for all the things that you're doing, taking care of yourself and loving yourself and being able to take time for yourself because you can get overwhelmed, you know, by the kids, of course. And then also just making sure that you're taking care of your business as well and kind of managing that as well while you're having your kids and understanding that you you can't be everywhere at all times. Um, Like some people that maybe either don't have kids or if there's two parents in the homes, you at least have somebody else to, to watch the kids or do something else. But when it's just you, you really have to make a lot more arrangements. So those are like the common threads that I think we all talked about. And it was interesting to see that because everybody was so different in terms of their work um, and why they were single and all that kind of stuff, which was to me very interesting. Yeah, I am curious. I, I have that as a later question here of what are the nuances depending on when somebody became a single parent or again, in this case, single mom. I imagine there's probably nuances to how involved the other parent is and whether or not that's helpful or a detriment, I guess, <laughs> depending on how uh, the relationship is. And also, I'm assuming even for the age of the kids. And, and on that note, um, you have two kids, right? And their current ages? Yes. So I have two. My kids are 11 years apart. So my oldest is um, 22 and my youngest is 11. So they, it's like I have like two only children. They both like the world revolves around both of them, you know, and themselves. <laughs> you know? So they, they're very, very different. So my oldest uh, just graduated from college. He just got a full time job. So we're very excited about that. So he's out of the house and doing his own thing now. And then I have my 11 year old uh, that started sixth grade this year. And so middle school is a whole thing. Uh, so it's been interesting. Sure. My kids are about to be three and five. They're almost exactly two years apart. And I am sure that the middle school years have its own set of challenges. What was it like having to sort of hit all those stages again after you have your oldest that I guess would, would be 11 um, at the age that you had your youngest? Um, do you think it was easier to have to go back through all of the baby steps uh, or the baby milestones? or harder to have to say, oh my gosh, I'm doing this all over again. Yeah, I forgot. Um, I totally forgot how hard it was. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, it was a little harder because I was older. So when I had 
my first son, I was 24. When I had my second son, I was 35. So, you know, my age being, you know, uh, being a lot older, just having a lot more to juggle than I had, you know, from when I was 24. So I feel like it was harder just because I had so much more going on that, you know, it was harder for me to adjust to having a baby again. That's interesting because I think I caught in one of your YouTube videos that you were probably finishing up law school with your first. Is that correct? Yes, correct. I had my first, well, I was pregnant when I was in my second year of law school. So Mm -hmm. I had him when I was in my second year of law school. And um, so I had to go through my third year and do the bar and all that kind of stuff. So he was a baby, you know, during my third year of law school. And the reason I say that's interesting is I think maybe people on the outside looking in would hear that and say, oh my gosh, that is really hard, which it is, (laughs) to make sure you're managing those things. But it sounds like you're saying that when you were older, and I'm assuming at that point, probably, again, building your firm and really keeping things up, that that was actually harder. Do you think that was just the age part of it um, and having not as much energy as you would in your early 20s? Or is it that that building up the business compared to finishing up law school really is more of a grind. Yeah, I think it was probably age more so than anything. But also when I had my youngest, all I had to do was focus on school. So I didn't really have, I mean, I was working part-time, but I didn't really have like as many balls in the air to juggle. So it was just law school and, you know, my part-time job and, you know, taking care of him. And that was pretty much it. So, and he was a very easy baby. I I will say that, you know, God bless me, you know, with that in terms of that, because he was a very easy baby. He was not a crier and he didn't make a big fuss and very quiet. So I could take him to the library with me and he probably would sit quiet, you know, and not have, not cry a lot or anything like that. So he was a very easy baby. And, you know, I had help and I had a lot of help. And my friends, I was up in Lubbock, Texas, which I'm from Houston, Texas. And for those that aren't familiar with Texas, very big state. So even though I was in the same state, I was like eight hours away um, drive wise from my family. So I had a lot of friends who were helping me and things like that. So I had a lot of support. So that helped. And so I don't recall it being so hard in terms of raising him at that particular period of time because you know he was pretty easy I didn't really have a lot going on and all that kind of stuff and then kind of 11 years later my oldest son is you know starting middle school I'm pregnant I have a full-time business that I'm running I got married at this point um, you know, just a lot more stuff that was going on that I didn't have at the time when I had my first kid. So because there was so much more, plus being older, you know, it's just a lot more to manage than I had previously. Having the older um, sibling there at age 11, was that a help or do you think that makes it harder? I mean, the obvious observation is you got two kids. So that's one thing that makes it harder (laughs) rather than just one. Um, Was he a help with the day-to-day duties for a new baby or not, not so much? Not so much. He was not, you know, (laughs) not so much. No. Yeah. He, you know, I think maybe he's a boy thing or whatever, but he, he just was like, whatever, it's a kid, but you know, I still need all my stuff. So that was pretty much his thought process. And again, he was starting middle school. So it was just a whole lot of things about him and he, 
played soccer, select soccer. So he was busy with that. So yeah, he really wasn't that into the baby. Not so much. Okay. <laughs> was he relatively self-sufficient at that point? I mean, obviously he couldn't drive. So you're going to, yeah, for soccer and other activities, you're having to make sure he gets there. But I guess in the home life day to day, as far as homework and those kinds of things, maybe did you get a little bit of a break there? Yeah, he he was very self-sufficient. I mean, again, this one, my oldest, which is completely different from the baby, um, was very, he's very quiet, very mild mannered. I mean, I had a lot of stuff I still had to do with him at school and stuff like that. I was in a PTO at his school and very, you know, active at the school. So I still had a lot of stuff, but him as a person was pretty easy to manage. He, he really was an easy kid comparatively um, in terms of, you know, being able to raise, he really didn't cause a lot of ruckus. All right. Well, that's probably about as much as you can ask for. Again, back to your point of the middle school age, I feel like a lot can come up. Like I said, I haven't gotten there yet, but what the way I hear it described is less frequent issues, but the issues that come up can be certainly more complicated than just, you know, making sure a infant and toddler don't hurt themselves <laughs> on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, middle school is an interesting time. You know, they're they're kind of coming into themselves, figuring out who they are, a lot more social issues. And so, you know, brain development, it's just a whole lot. They're going through a whole lot. So because they're going through a whole lot, you're going through a whole lot. That's the best way I can explain it. So, you know, it just, you never really know what's going to happen with, you know, a preteen. It just, anything can happen at any moment. So you're just kind of on walking on eggshells, kind of figuring out how they feel. I can't wait. Yeah, it'll be fun. Maybe we'll start with current schedule that you deal with and then work backwards through certain stages of development. What is your day-to-day activity schedule? Or or I guess I should say um, your kids' day-to-day activity schedule and how do you manage that with your business responsibilities? So right now, so I made the smart decision to send my kid to a school that's nowhere near my house. Um, So because of that, I drive a lot. I'm in the car a lot more than probably any normal person would be. So, you know, we drive him, I drive him, I get up in the morning, drive him to school, drop him off, get back to the house. And then I'm probably starting work, you know, around nine, you know, once I get myself settled, probably about 9am and about 3pm, I got to start shutting it down because I got to pick him up at 350 unless he has, you know, some after school activity. And then, you know, maybe I have another hour, hour and a half I can work. So that's pretty much our schedule. And then once I pick him up, I pretty much shut down my office hours. I'm not really working anymore because we have after school activities. He does coding and robotics, Boy Scouts, all those different things. So I'm taking him to all of those places. So my office hours are really like from nine to three. And that's pretty much it. Um, unless, like I said, he has something after school and then maybe I can get another hour in. But for the most part, that's that's what it is. So my clients are very acclimated to my schedule. They really know. Um, it's funny how they know when I'm in my office and when I'm not in my office and when I'm dropping off my kid and when I'm not dropping off my kid. And they you know, will email me around 830 saying, hey, I know you're dropping off your kid, but as soon as you get in the office, you know, call me first. So they're emailing me like right at 830 because they know, you know, I'll be back at the house by nine. And so that's when they're going to start, you know, messaging me and, you know, contacting me and things like that. So that's pretty much my schedule because 
I do a lot of contracts and I work with businesses. A lot of my clients don't really want to come into the office. I do have an office, but you know, they, they're doing their business and they don't really want to come in. So a lot of my stuff is done remotely via email. Um, I do my contracts, send it to them. You know, maybe we're meeting video conferencing, those kinds of things. So I made it, created my business around making sure that I was able to pick up and drop off my kid and take, you know, him to wherever he needs to go. That has helped. And my clients for the most part, for the most part, are very understanding and they just work around my schedule and they really don't care as long as I get it all my work done, they they're fine. I tend to find very similar reactions as far as around a a remote schedule like I had mentioned before and like we were talking about it's amazing when you really reflect on a typical office workday how much non-productive time there is so um, even though three o'clock I think for most people sounds like oh that's coming off early and yeah it is based on nine to five I, I think that if you stay focused on what the tasks are that need to be completed in the day you're still in the position to have a full day's uh, productivity be completed. It just, you know, people maybe aren't used to hearing something that's not nine to five. And it is good to hear that um, most of your clients are pretty understanding of that schedule. And I also find that that is the case for fellow parents in particular, you know, maybe it doesn't get talked about as much, but you know, people know what those challenges are. So I've, luckily also found similar um, understanding in the work world. With the activities that you mentioned, um, do you have to get your son to those? Are they already on site so you can kind of work through it at that point? Or do you get him to where he needs to go, like you said, the coding or Boy Scouts, and then work watching him do whatever activity? Yeah, so it depends. So so he has two robotics teams that he's on, one at school. So the one at school, he stays after school to do. So then those are the days that he stays after school. I have like an extra hour to work. So that's helpful. So he does that. Um, Boy Scouts, I have to take him there. So usually, like I said, his school is far from where I live. So once I pick him up, I'm like, okay, we're not going back home. So you just need to know that, you know, we won't be back home until eight, nine o'clock. So we'll go to do whatever we need to do. But from school, I'm picking him up and taking him wherever. So if it's Boy Scouts, we go to Boy Scouts. Um, Sometimes he does swimming, we do that. Um, Saturdays, he has another robotics, a different robotics team, different from the school he has. And then he does coding um, class as well. So I'm taking him to all of those things, but you know, he, I said, if you want to do these things, they're fine, but you have to understand that there are certain things that you're going to have to do. That means we're on a very tight schedule. You don't have a lot of play time. So, you know, you can't really play like you would want to play and you have to get your homework done on top of that. So he's on a tight schedule. These are the things he wants to do. And I'm saying to him, fine, but if this is what we're going to do, then you have to be able to maintain the schedule that we have because we're not home. And when we do get home, it's very late. So those are the things I have to explain to him to say, you know, you got to be able to stay on top of it because the minute, you know, your grades start dropping or things don't happen, all of this stuff is going away. And that's kind of how we do it. Going back to the name of your show, Single Mom CEO, what struck me is 
how much do you compare managing a schedule like that to managing your business? Do you think that everything, uh, as far as scheduling is concerned, parallels between business world and parenting? Or what do you think is different? I think it's all, for me, it's all the same. To me, it's like, I have to schedule everything. So just thinking about from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, just about everything is scheduled. So I mix kind of mix and match parenting schedule and my business schedule within that. So like I said, you know, I have from basically nine to three to do any work stuff, my, 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 my day job, so to speak. And that would include the single mom CEO. All of that stuff has to happen between nine and three. There are some times where I can do it after that, but that's very rare. So it's very rare that I'm doing any business like after that time. So I have to make sure that I get that. So that means I, like you said, I have to be very focused. I have to make sure that I'm staying on top of things. If I'm networking or anything like that, all of that has to be scheduled. And then after that fact, I have to be able to schedule all my son's activities and know when I'm supposed to be and where I'm supposed to be and do all of those things there. Sometimes I can sneak some work in, but a lot of times I can't do it because even when you have these after school activities, you know, they have parent meetings and you got to they expect you to work and volunteer and all that kind of stuff. So you still have more work, so to speak, to do, because even though it's your kids activity, there's stuff that parents are expected to do. So I very it's not often I can work while he's doing those things. Yeah, I would assume even just to stay engaged in it as well, you'd have to do the expected items that come with being the parent of the child in the activity. But um, even if you're not, it might even be hard to just stay engaged in what they're doing altogether, I would assume. Again, we haven't quite gotten to that age range yet. I think we're going to start soccer here next year. That definitely makes sense that it's more than just getting them to the activity. There's a certain level of engagement that you have to have. We talked a little bit about the support system. And you mentioned, you know, during your move from Houston to Lubbock and and having to rely on friends. uh, What does the support network look like either for you or again, just in general, what you've discussed with your guests so far? I think for the most part, it's family. You know, you have a good family support system. For me, my mom is a big help to with my son and we don't live too far apart. So when I need to do something or if I have to travel or something like that, nine times out of 10, she's the person that's picking him up and dropping him off and doing kind of replacing me and a lot of that stuff. So she's very helpful. And I have sisters and aunts that are here around me. So that helps a lot to have um, my family support that's here. So that helps a lot. And then I think for a lot of other women, it's the same thing, having the grandparents, having aunts, you know, uncles, those kinds of people around to help and give you a break, having really good friends. So for me, when my oldest son, you know, was young, my friends that were around my age had kids his age. So, you know, he could always go and play over my friend's house. We could, I can hang out with my friends and their kids play and all that kind of stuff. So with my youngest son, it's a lot different because I'm older and all of my friends, majority of my friends 
their kids are older. So they don't really have a lot of kids. Well, many of my friends don't have kids my age, so my son's age. So I have to kind of make new friends, so to speak. So, you know, it becomes a little bit more of a challenge because you don't have as much of a system as you had where you had friends in people's houses that could go over and things like that. But you still kind of make friends with their moms and their friends' moms and dads and things like that so that they can still have a place to play and you can go out and enjoy yourself and and do things. So it's really about having, hopefully you have a good family system that helps tremendously, but then also you have connections with friends that have kids their age so that they can watch the kids and go spend the night and do other things that helps as well. So that makes a big difference. How does coordinating with the other parent, if they are in the picture, of course, does that play into the overall support system? Um, Again, is it a detriment? (laughs) Uh, Is it uh, another form of support that makes it easier? Again, I'm sure it is very dependent on the relationship between the mother and father. But um, what what have you found in talking with folks? I think it varies. Um, I've had one of the moms that I spoke to, her husband passed away. So obviously, you know, dealing with the grief of losing a husband, becoming a widow, and that's, you know, why she's single, single mom now, that plays a completely different dynamic than, you know, being divorced, which a lot of the moms are divorced. And, you know, you have to have that dynamic as trying to create a whole new household with, co-parenting. And then there's some parents that just weren't never, were never married, um, but they still have to co-parent and everything like that. I think the consensus was, is that you want to have, and I feel this way too, you want your child to know their other parents and you try your best to make it as calm. I, I, I don't know the right word. Maybe it's calm or as peaceful for the child as you possibly can. And it doesn't really matter how you personally feel about them, but the child is the one that comes first. And so that, and that having that thought process and understanding that, then it doesn't really become a big deal because you're always able to say, well, whatever they need, that's what we're going to do. And sometimes it's in monetary, sometimes it's time, sometimes it's a little bit of both, sometimes it's not enough. You know, you can argue about all of those different things, but you just try to make it as consistent for the child as possible. So in my case, my ex-husband lives in a different state now, so he's not here. So, you know, when I leave and go out of town, he can't stay at his dad's house because his dad's in another state. So it really, you know, my reliance on my family is very, very key. But when he comes and visits and things like that, he goes and takes them for a week and I have a free week and I'm enjoying my free week when I have it, you know. (laughs) So those kinds of things you you just have to do. I think with co-parenting in any situation, you really have to just think about, okay, I want my child to be as happy as possible. I don't ever want to put them in a position where they have to choose between parents. And I never want them to feel like, you know, they have to love one more than the other. I'm okay with you loving your dad and I'm okay with you wanting to be with him and I'm okay with you enjoying and doing whatever. And that's okay. And whatever help comes, then it comes, but you just have to accept things as they are. I just really believe that you can't be angry or bitter with the other person about anything because you don't want that to affect your child's relationship. They need to have their own relationship. Yeah. It seems like it should be 
common sense to make sure that you have the best interest of your child at heart. But, you know, when some of those emotions and, you know, relationship nuances can happen, I think it's probably easier said than done. Have you um, had to use any after school care or when your kids were pre-K, did you use like uh, um, daycare type settings or, or other services other than family? Yeah. So with my first son, I used it a lot more than I have with my second son. Um, so with my first son, yeah, after school care, summer care, putting him in summer camp, all that kind of stuff was a must um, because that was kind of the beginning of my career. Even though I had my own business, I still had to, I I was doing a lot of litigation and I was still having to build what I needed. So I definitely relied upon after school care and all that kind of stuff. But my mom retired when my youngest was born. So that was helpful um, so that I didn't have to do that. I work from home now more, more than I did when my son, my eldest son was in school. So I work from home a lot more than I did before. So that helps a lot so that if he's out of school or things like that, I have my own office in the house. And so I can work from home. He can go do whatever he's doing, play games, whatever. And it's fine. Um, Summertime, I don't put him, my youngest in anything. He's at home. And if he's, you know, doing Boy Scout camp or maybe going somewhere with the grandparents or whatever, traveling, he travels way more than I do. Um, You know, he can go do that. And it's fine. So I, I I had to do it for my eldest son. I really don't have to do it for my youngest. So he's not really in any after school care or anything like that. I just keep him at home. But I can now, where before I couldn't do that. That is an interesting comparison between, yeah, the sort of the early getting into your career versus where you're at now and having some options. And even with my kids being you know, so close in age, we actually saw a similar shift from one to the other. One being that actually, uh, my in-laws actually were able to move down. So I definitely am with you as far as having that family help. Um, and then I've had a little bit more flexibility available as has my wife. So it is definitely nice to be able to pull some other levers that you're not completely dependent on a daycare or a nanny. If you've you know, in a position to do that or, or other things, uh, as far as that, that drop off and pickup schedule is concerned. And I never realized before having kids, what considerations were there as far as a daycare is concerned. I mean, even from the standpoint of when they get sick and they can't still be there, you know, and you've got to go and and grab them and then figure out what you're going to do while they need to stay at home in those days after that. So there are a lot more nuances than I appreciated before having our kids um, in daycare. And, you know, we're almost to the point of going from pre-K to kindergarten and elementary school. Definitely want to be as open as we can to pulling the lures so that we aren't dependent on after-school care and that kind of thing if we can help it. With your schedule being what it has been over the years, do you feel like you've missed out on anything? Or do you have a general sense of paranoia that you might (laughs) miss out on anything? Um, How do you feel managing your time has gone? You know, of course, I miss out on things. And there's some times where there's things where I have to say no to that I don't want to say no to. And there's sometimes that I've said yes to things and realized that I just couldn't do it. And it just didn't work. Um, So there's definitely those things where you just kind of have to say no. 
because you just can't do it. And sometimes that hurts. You know, there's a lot of lot of networking, after hour networking that I just can't do and I don't do that I get invited to that I'm just like, you know, I'm not coming. I, you know, after six o'clock, it's just, I shut it down. It's like, I'm just not coming. And I have to say no, because I just, I literally just can't do it. And so, you know, you miss out on business opportunities. You miss out on networking. You miss out on getting to know certain people because you're not there. But I don't regret it because one of the things that I've always had in the back of my mind from from after law school, I went to the CLE, well, Continuing Legal Education for Lawyers. That's what we have. We call it. And it was for specifically for young lawyers. And I remember having this elder lawyer that was there and he talked about his relationship with his son. And one of the things that he regretted was not spending more time with his son. And he told the whole story about it. But I took from that that that's not the feeling I wanted my kid to have. I didn't want my son to feel like I wasn't there. I never wanted him to feel that way. So in my thought process is I'm always going to put these this time first. This was going to be the most important thing for me. So that's what I'm going to do. And so I still make those sacrifices. I mean, just when my son got his job, my eldest son got his job, he's moved to Tennessee. And so I had to take him up there and I was supposed to be in a conference and it was, I paid for the conference. I was supposed to be there, but when we got the, found out about the job offer and when he had to be there, I just, I couldn't make both work. Well, to try to make both work, it was just going to be way too much. And I just had to say, I'm going to let this conference go. And I was supposed to be running for president of the region, didn't end up winning because I wasn't there. You know, that kind of stuff happened, Mm -hmm. but I'm okay with it because I would have, I wouldn't have traded the time to take my son up to Tennessee, the time we spent together looking for an apartment, you know, making sure that he was okay. I wouldn't have traded that for the world. And if I wouldn't have been there, I would have probably had severe mom guilt because I, I wasn't there to make sure that everything was okay. So for me, that's most important. So, you know, not being at the conference, yeah, I'm, you know, I missed out and, you know, there's things that could have, could have, should have, would have happened had I been there. But it was that more important than me going to Tennessee? No. And, and so I don't have any regrets about that. I wholeheartedly agree. I almost try to surround myself with people that have a similar advice like you mentioned for for the gentleman you were talking about saying, you know, treasure these years, um, make sure you don't miss out on these things. Cause you know, the adage, nobody was on their deathbed saying, I wish I had spent more time in the office, but you, you, know, right. you, <laughs> you, you do hear regrets as far as yeah. Being there for your kids, a couple of quick stories from my perspective, I, tend to be very frugal, (laughs) probably to a fault. And there was a program with the company I was working for when my son was born, where you could actually take your baby to the office, like literally in your office space up to eight months. And so the reason I joke and say frugal, you know, I'm looking at this like, hey, I'm saving myself, you know, eight months of childcare (laughs) by bringing him in. Um, Lucky for me, then I realized actually being able to go through that experience that, wow, this was really cool that I could spend that much time with him when he was, you know, that little um, something else for people that, you know, aren't familiar with daycare and 
every single sickness that's possibly out there, they're going to get immediately. It seems like there was even that uh, added benefit that he didn't get sick at all when he was in an office setting. And then when we did, uh, you know, put him into daycare within a, two weeks, maybe even less, he was <laughs> sick immediately. And then, you know, for the next year and a half, it seemed like he had a constant runny nose that could never get rid of. Like I said, it was something that I didn't necessarily appreciate for the bonding time, but it was really cool that I was um, able to to do that. And the other is just travel in general. And what I've come to as a conclusion is it's a little ironic that as your career progresses, the likelihood of you needing to travel just, you know, if you're going from higher position to higher position goes up. And of course, that means you know, not in your single years when you first got out of college when, hey, you know, sure, a paid trip on the company, this is great. <laughs> and, and you know, you can do that networking and do all that other stuff that you mentioned. But there's, at least for me, there weren't as many opportunities for that. So I am also similar. And again, nice to, to hear your perspective. Sounds about the same that um, trying to use your time judiciously when it comes to travel. And if it's not something you have to go to, trying to figure out other accommodations, um, you know, again, whether that's WebExes or um, video conferences, whatever it happens to be, just really staying up on that and using technology to your advantage so that you're not one of those people that's saying, oh man, I really wish I had those years back. Or, you know, if I had it to do over again, um, this is what I would have done. Yeah. And, you know, I think it becomes a lot more stressful. I mean, when I think about it, there are things that I said I was going to do. I wanted, I really wanted to do, but the logistics of it just stressed me out. And I said to myself, it's not worth this, you know, not, not even just in the sense of, not being there for my kid or or whatever, but just the stress of trying to figure out who's going to keep them, you know, where, how long am I going to be gone? How quickly can I get there and get back? You know, all the activities that they need to do because nobody, you know, my kid is in like a whole bunch of stuff. Both of my boys were always, always busy. Mm-hmm. So nobody's going to want to keep that schedule that you keep for your kid, right? Like even my mom who loves me and loves my kid is like, I'm not doing all of that. You know, (laughs) I'm taking them to school and I'm picking up, but I'm not going to 24 activities after school. I don't feel like doing that. So then he doesn't go. So then I'm like, oh, you know, he's supposed to be here. He's not there. You know, if I was there, then he would be taken to all these different places and those things would happen. So it becomes, you know, order of stress, making sure homework gets done. Did it get turned in? You know, stuff goes wonky when you know you're not there and making sure that stuff happens the way you want it to and so for me it became a a matter of very stressful and I just had to say I have to slow this down I can't do it at the level that I was doing it before because it's not working and you know he's fine you know health wise but you know it's making me stressed out and so it doesn't help you when you become stressed because you're gone and you can't be there to make sure that things happen the way you want them to matter. And I, I admit I'm a bit of a control freak, so that might be part of it. But, you know, those things matter. And so you have to really make those decisions about what is not only in the best interest of the kid in terms of, you know, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, but what gives you kind of a mindset that you can be at peace when you're gone and know that things are going to work the way you want them to, or if they're, if they're not, that you're okay with it. The more you're gone, the more harmful I think that is for your own peace of mind. 
I wonder too what the balance is for any family that you have helping out, uh, especially grandparents, letting them be grandparents, right? <laughs> and how much you know do you rely on them for discipline, or like you said, even getting them to those certain activities versus you know handing them off and they just get to spoil them for a while. <laughs> I, I feel like there's probably even that consideration um, of how much you're able to be there and, you know, do that part versus if you're putting um, somebody in your family in that more parenting role where they're having to, let's say, correct behavior or things like that, that they, you know, wouldn't necessarily otherwise have to do. Yeah, it makes a difference. And I, I definitely don't want, you know, from my perspective, my mother to have to do that. Like, I don't want to put her in that position where she has to be that. I, I always want her to be, you know, they call her Mima. I want her to be Mima right. and I they adore her and love her just like I did with my grandparents. So, you know, obviously there are going to be some discipline because when she has them, you know, you have to have that, but not to the extent that I would do. So I, I definitely want that to always be the case. So I always have to think about that. Like how much am I away? How much am I working? You know, what schedule am I having that I'm going to be somewhere that if I can't pick them him up or I can't drop him off, what can I can do? And then you've got other people that have other things to do too. You know, they have lives. And so you have to think about, okay, these people have lives too. So I have to be mindful of that as well. So I think in all of the things that I do in terms of how I keep my schedule, whether I travel, whether I don't, you know, whether I do something that's after work hours or not, I try to keep that in mind in terms of, is this something that makes sense? Is it going to be the easiest thing for me to be able to schedule or is it easier for me to stay home? What's going to be the less stress for me? And I and that's what I really try to think about it. Is it going to be more or less stressful if I do this? And if it's more stressful, then I just don't do it. Yeah, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Um, I was going to end with some quick hits on the different ages or stages of development and would be very curious from your standpoint, again, especially since you went through, you know, those stages with your oldest son, and then of course had to do it all over again with your youngest son, um, which stage is the most challenging, obviously recognizing that there are different challenges as uh, your kids get older, but from that baby range, zero to two, what would you say were the primary issues that you had to overcome? I think from zero to two, both of them was just, you know, just making sure they stayed alive. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, just trying to make sure that, you know, they weren't getting anything, putting stuff in their mouths, you know, making sure they had diapers, all that kind of stuff. Now they both, um, when they were that age, were in daycare, um, so they both had the daycare. Well, I think my youngest, I had a, a babysitter as, a, as opposed to daycare, but he did go to daycare after a while. So, you know, just making sure getting them to and from, making sure they have enough diapers. It, it was just a lot of, I don't know, care. So you had, you had to really do everything. So that, that was hard. How about um, sleep? (laughs) How hard did that make it or lack of sleep in this case? So like I said, my eldest was much easier and and probably I spoiled him because I let him sleep Mm -hmm. in the bed with me um, because I was in law school and it was just easier. I didn't didn't do the whole cry out thing when I was in law school because my sleep was way more important. So I just let him sleep in the bed with me. So that was pretty easy. My my youngest, well, we didn't know at the time, but he has ADHD. He didn't get diagnosed until 
first grade. So, but he did not sleep. And so he was like a party baby and he was up all night and slept for like a little bit of time and up early mm-hmm. in the morning. So that one, and plus, you know, like I said, I was older. So that was very, very hard. I struggled and it, it was, it was a lot. And then moving on to the Tyler range, so roughly two to five before hitting kindergarten, what are the the main challenges there that you experienced? I think, you know, just them coming into their own personality. I think that's kind of when the time that their personality really starts to develop, allowing them to explore things that they like and enjoy and social interact socially. I think what I enjoyed most about that time is really kind of seeing them blossom into who they would end up being and and enjoying learning about themselves, learning about the world, seeing what they liked. Um, To me, that was a fun time. Two to five was, was a fun time from what I remember, you know, uh, probably wasn't fun at the time, but I (laughs) I remember it being, you know, fun for me to watch them kind of grow into their, their person. I'll admit I'm, certainly guilty of maybe some grass is greener syndrome since that's the the age we're in now. And, you know, maybe there's a night where I just don't feel like going through bath routine uh, and, and all of that sort of end and thinking, Oh man, once they're to the point where they can you know brush their own teeth and get showered and then they're into bed, boy, I'll save so much time. It's again, nice to hear somebody that has gone through it and can compare the other ages saying that that's actually, you know, in comparison, one of the good times. So enjoy those types of activities because they won't last forever. And even though they may seem tedious, you know, in the moment, yes. they're not going to last forever. So that <laughs> that's good perspective. Um, how, how about for that elementary school age, like roughly six to 13, like the tween years? So, you know, the elementary school, again, I think is just really kind of it's a lot of social stuff that goes along with that um, because they're probably starting to play sports. They're, you know, at school, meeting new friends. You, the social aspect of that, I think makes such a big difference and how they connect with people makes a big difference. So I think um, that was interesting. The tween years, Again, you know, it's just dealing with the attitude, um, I think is the most obnoxious thing, um, you know, that you have to, to deal with in terms of just trying to, you know, they're mad and you don't even know why they're mad. They don't know why they're mad. And it's just like a whole bunch of, you know, oh my God and sighing and, uh, and, you know, that's all you hear all day. I swear if I'm like, my son yells, okay, mom, like sarcastically all day long, it's very obnoxious. Um, so, those those middle school years are 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 not as fun uh but you know you do get to i say the positive side is that is that they're at that age they're still willing to talk to you so that's good and since you have um gone through that age range you know with the 10 to 11 years apart i'm curious with social media and just um technology being what it is now, is there a noted difference that you've observed with um, where the technology is now that that your 11-year-old's dealing with versus what your 22-year-old was dealing with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My my 22-year-old, I mean, he has a phone, obviously, and computer and stuff like that. But, you know, he's not really on a lot of social media. I mean, maybe he's on one of those Snapchats or whatever these kids do these days. I don't know. But, you know, he's <laughs> definitely never really been too big on social media. Um, he's 
you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't really worry about that, but he does everything on his computer. Um, he watches, you know, I got rid of cable because nobody was watching it but me. And it was like, this is stupid for me Mm -hmm. to pay for that. I'm the only person that's watching it because they do everything on TV. So they're watching, you know, like Netflix and they're watching YouTube. My eldest son loves anime. So he has some site where he watches all the anime he wants to watch. So they do that. And then my youngest, like I said, he's into coding and robotics. He watches YouTube all the time. Um, he's into Minecraft. Like everything is connected. He's connected like all the time. He wants to be, you know, on that's our punishment. Like I don't have to worry about spankings or groundings or whatever else. Like if I tell him I'm taking away his electronics, the world has ended. So that's, it's simple and hard at the same time, but he's definitely completely into everything electronic. And if it's not electronic, he's not interested. He doesn't want anything to do with it. So those are the kinds of things that I deal with that are very different between, between the two of them, even in, 11 years time, how much difference there is in terms of availability in terms of electronics. Yeah, that makes sense. We actually just had a block party a couple weeks back and all the little kids were at the bounce house. And I'm thinking, gosh, I know there are some, you know, 10, 11, 12 up through high school age kids. I don't see any of them here. Are they just out at activities? Well, they had one of those like mobile video game trucks and so we stepped onto it briefly and i found them all (laughs) they were all sitting in front of those screens i'm like oh okay this is where we will be you know in the next five five to ten years yes that's that's it that's where it's gonna go and if it's like you know you know they don't want to if you go somewhere and there's no internet it's like i don't even understand like where are we in the 1920s i don't like why is there no internet so like yeah it has to have they have to be connected and then the high school age we haven't really talked much about that uh phase but uh what are the challenges for the high school age kids so again a lot of it's social um you know for my eldest son his personality changed a lot you know he was very um you know, had a lot of friends in middle school, had a whole little crew. And then as he got to high school, it was kind of less and less people he wanted to be around, talk to, um, kind of just morphed into kind of like a whole new person, (laughs) almost it seemed, at least to me. Um, So, you know, trying to encourage him to, you know, keep his grades up and look forward to the future and all kinds of things. That was, that was very hard. I think for me, for him, High school was probably the hardest parenting years that I had because he was so, you know, into soccer and he was, you know, very focused on his grades in middle school. And then when he got to high school, that kind of all changed and he just really his personality kind of went, you know, did a whole 180. So I think that was difficult to navigate as a parent is figuring out, you know, what's going on? Who are you? Where did my kid go? Um, That kind of stuff. And, you know, they don't talk anymore. So like all communication is cut off at this point. So you very, you not get any information anymore. So it becomes a little bit more difficult to know what they're, what, who they're talking to, why they're talking to them, you know, what's going on in their brain because their communication is, is it's just over. Like once it hits high school, you're not getting any more information out of them. So it sounds like maybe what I've heard comparing the baby to toddler years of, yeah, maybe more frequent problems as far as them being headstrong or saying no a lot. 
Uh, but when you get into those older years, maybe less quantity of conflict or problems, but more complications in those problems. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, you just you just think about, especially in high school. Again, you know, I think once they, I think once they hit school age, it's always going to be some social issues. I think the social issues mm-hmm. just get more and more intense as they get older because they become more aware of them. And so that obviously affects, you know, how they act and where they are because they are around these people way more than they're around you. Um, and they want to be around these people way more than they're around you. And you as a parent where mm-hmm. you were amazing and awesome while they were five, they don't even want you be to be seen with you. Um, you know, when they're 15, they the, the fact that you are even alive is like repulsive, you know, like how <laughs> dare you, you know, talk to my friends or say anything. So they don't want you around. So you, you gotta, kind of have to navigate through that, but you still have to be there. You still have to do things for them. You know, they can't drive still. So you still got to take them to all the stuff that they want to take, be taken to. You still have to encourage them through school. You still have to make sure stuff is being done. You know, it's, it's still a lot of that. And, and maybe girls are probably a little bit different. My friends that have girls, their experiences were different, but still, you know, it's a, still a lot of social management that goes into that, that you have to navigate through and make sure that they're okay, because you really don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. because there's no way for you to know. Um, whereas when they're five and six and even sometimes in elementary, you, you still have a communication system that allows you to do that. But in high school, there's no way the teachers don't tell you anything. You don't know the kids aren't telling you anything. So it's very hard to really kind of know what's happening with your kid at that age. Well, I think that's all the questions that I had. Was there anything that we didn't talk about that you think we should cover? No, I think we covered everything. That was great. Well, yeah, I do really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Do you want to go ahead and share your YouTube channel and other contact information so folks know how to get a hold of you? Sure. At YouTube, it's my name, Shahara Wright. So it's youtube.com slash Shahara. That's S-H-A-H-A-R-A right w-r-i-g-h-t you can um find me there um on youtube and i have lots and lots of videos not just single mom ceo but that's one of the latest that's out there about business um issues and matters and so you can contact me there you can also go to facebook um to single mom ceo success um so at facebook is single mom ceo success and you can find all of our interviews that we've released to date that's there. Um, and we also have some things that are coming out soon. So if you're definitely interested in connecting with us there, make sure you do so. And you can find me pretty much anywhere on social media under my name, Shahara Wright. And you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook and uh, just YouTube. Like I said, I'm not on on the gram, so I'm not that hip, um, <laughs> but I'm definitely on other places. So definitely Google me, look me up and you can find me and connect with me there as well. Perfect. And I will be sure to put all your contact information in the show notes when we publish this episode. Well, Shahara, again, I appreciate it and take care. All right. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to give us a rating on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. If you'd like to be notified of future weekly shows, please hit the subscribe button. Thank you. 
Suburban Folk is part of the Pod All the Time podcasting network with 11 other great podcasts, The Creative Intuitive, Another Digital Citizen, History of a Haunting, Raw Sex, Round and Round the Podcast, Real AKA Truth, Ruck Up Podcast, Random Unnamed Podcast, A Fresh Look, Three Ps Up in a Podcast, and the I Think We're Doing It Podcast. Check them out on Twitter to see what they're up to. 